Welcome to the study of God's Word, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, let's open our Bibles and study God's Word. Amen. Take the Word of God tonight and open it to a book that I would bet many of us don't spend much time in, the book of Lamentations. The book of Lamentations. It's uh, right after Isaiah, Jeremiah, then you hit Lamentations. After that, you'll hit Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, so on and so forth. If it helps you, it's on page 722 in my Bible. Amen, the book of Lamentations. While you're finding that, let me just say, what confirmation uh, the song was that the worship team sang tonight, that last song. I just caught a few words. No less God within the shadows. Did you catch that? No less faithful when the night leads me astray. In the highlands and the heartache, all the same. Speaking of the consistency of God on the mountaintop and in the valley, in season and out of season. And I thought, man, that's a befitting runway for where we're going to be tonight uh, in our text and what we want to talk about tonight. And the topic of our message tonight is this, trusting God in dry seasons. Trusting God in dry seasons. In those places where things don't quite make sense, in those places where we don't feel quite encouraged, in those places where the fruit of joy in our life is not plenteous, trusting God in dry seasons. If you got Lamentations 3, verse 21, let me know it by saying amen. amen. This is the record as is in the New King James. It says, this I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my, that is a place to say amen. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. Let me say that again, because that jumped off at the page at me like I'd never read it before, and that felt good. The Lord is good to those who wait for him to the soul who seeks him. Will you do me a favor real quick? Just look at the person on your left or on your right and say, wait for God. Amen, wait for God. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone and keep silent because God has laid it on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. Look at this. Look at what God is saying through the prophet here in dry seasons. Let him put his mouth in the dust. That doesn't sound very sensitive to what we're going through. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes him and be full of reproach. But watch this in verse 31. Here's the promise. 
for the Lord will not cast off forever. Though he causes grief, yet he will show compassion according to the multitude of his mercies. For he does not afflict willingly. That's a good word. Nor grieve the children of men. Help me make this live tonight. If you would, touch the neighbor on one side and say, neighbor. Oh, come on, you got to say it better than that. Say, neighbor. There you go. Say, trust God in dry seasons. Okay, that was just a warm-up. Look at the neighbor on the other side. Say, other neighbor. Do you know how to trust God in dry seasons? Look up here. Say, preacher, teach us how to trust God in dry seasons. Not too long ago, I was sitting at a restaurant with a friend of mine in downtown Denver. He was turning 45. I like to go out with people on their birthday who are older than me. And he was turning 45, and so we went to dinner, and I asked him, I was trying to decide between the steak or the chicken, and I'd had the steak before, so I knew that I liked that, but tonight I was feeling chicken, and I said, hey man, how is the smoked chicken? How's the grilled chicken? And he said, ah, I've only had it once, and it was kinda dry. Now hear me, I was born and raised in South Texas. In South Texas, we take pride in a lot of things. Uh, probably right at the top of that list is what we do with meat on the grill or on the barbecue pit. And the last thing you wanna tell an African-American preacher from South Texas is that the chicken is kinda dry. So I thought about that. And when, when the chicken is dry on the restaurant menu, we can just move to another selection. But what happens when life gets dry? What happens when we are looking for God or the presence of God and he doesn't seem quite as close as he once did? What happens when we're in the valley of life and we're trying to figure out how to negotiate the obstacles that are in our path, what do we do? Michael Wells, in his book, Sidetracked in the Wilderness, he classifies, he talks about this in his own words, and he says, when we get into the dry seasons of life, he breaks people down into four categories. He says there are four types of people in this season. He said the first is a people who are I, not Christ kind of people. They are unbelievers, unregenerate, not followers of Jesus, not followers of the way. I, not Christ. The second is, he says, there are people who are I and Christ. Help me, Holy Ghost. These are the people who, he says, they'll let Christ be their fire insurance to keep them out of hell but they'll take care of everything on earth by themselves. These are I and Christ kind of people. He also takes a note there. He says these are the most miserable Christians in this third category. 
He says they want Christ to be Lord, and yet if he does not act according to their plan when they think he should, out come the idols. And he calls these people, number three, Christ and I kind of people. What do I mean when I say idols? Idols, they're just a coping mechanism that take the place of God's presence in crucial times of life. Self-dependence can be an idol. The networks of our friends and families can be idols. Sinful habits can be idol. Unhealthy coping mechanisms, these all can be idols. And the fourth kind of people he says there are in these seasons of life, and this is where I hope we fall tonight, he says these people are Christ, not I kind of people. He said these folks have learned the secret of dependence upon God and trust in Christ alone. They've learned to enter into the rest of Jesus and cast all anxiety upon him. These are the ones that when the storms, storms of life are raging, they join with the words of the ancient hymn writer who said, thou who rulest the wind and the water, please stand by me. But one of the blessings that comes from dry season, if we will let patience have her perfect work, is that God will shape us and make us away from those first three categories of people, and he actually uses the dry seasons of life to shape us into Christ, not I kind of people. And in this text tonight, as we get into it, we encounter this weeping prophet by the name of Jeremiah, and the Babylonians have destroyed the temple, and they've left Jerusalem dry and in ruins. Can you get the picture there in Jerusalem? Some of you have been to Israel. Jeremiah is looking at a Jerusalem that in his mind used to be but no longer is. The sacred has been desecrated. The vineyards have dried up. The holy has been given to the dogs. And when you look at this city as Jeremiah sees it, maybe like our life and our circumstances look at it, uh, look sometimes, we are left asking this one question when we see it. How will I ever come back from this? That's essentially what Jeremiah is asking as he looks at this. And maybe that's where we are tonight, or some of us. And if we're not there tonight, Maybe we know what it's like to have been there. Our ground is dry and brittle, and everything sacred has been desecrated, and the holy things stand open to be rummaged by the dog-like circumstances of life. But I came with a word tonight, and that word is this. There is encouragement in Jesus. There is hope in Jesus. There is still victory in Jesus. And anybody in the house tonight that's a follower of Jesus will testify to that. And we've got to believe that even in the dry times of life, that God knows how to use the times of desolation and nakedness and famineness. He knows how to use those times to break us away from our idols of self-dependency and to learn to fully trust in him. And while I'm there, as we get ready to step into this text tonight, let me just encourage you with this. It's not the good seasons of life that shape us after the image of Christ. 
It's not the high times or the easy seasons of life that shape us after the image of Christ. It's the hard times in life that help us to look more like Jesus. If you're in the house with me tonight, say amen. It's the tough times of life that it's not, it's not the car you drive now. It's the Volkswagen bug that you drove in college with the hole in the floorboard where you could see the street. Remember that? And you had to stop like every block to put a quarter oil in it. That's when we were learning to trust Jesus. It's not the easy times where we're shaped after the image of Jesus. It's on that hill just outside of Jerusalem where Jesus said it is finished. When he was at his lowest point, that's when the glory of God shone forth in its brightest light. But let's step into this text tonight. You've come not to hear me. Let's hear what the word of God says. So how do we trust God in dry times? In verses 21 through 23, if you're taking notes, this is noteworthy. Number one, here's the first thing we have to do. We have to remember God's history. And when I say that, I'm talking about his history with us personally in our life. If you're going to make it through the dry seasons of life, we have to remember God's history. Let me see if I can make a lift for you. Not too long ago, uh, I got in my wife's car, and I know no husband will have any idea what I'm talking about here when I say this, but I got in my wife's car, and one of the lights said, low tire pressure, low tire pressure. And I thought to myself, no biggie, she must be getting around to this within the next couple of days, all of the husbands in the house said, yeah, right. So about a week later, I got into her car again and that low pressure tire light was still on. And so I went to her and, and in, in good, calm husband fashion, I'm sure in perfect tone and tenor and pitch and volume, I asked this, I said, hey babe, did you know your tire light is on? And she simply replied, yes. Okay. So I looked at her, knowing full more that there was some more explanation that she was going to give me. And she went on to say, watch this, I looked at the tires and they looked fine to me. And I thought to myself, you have computer calibration on your tires that's telling you the air is low, but you looked at the tires and they look fine to you. So I did what any good husband would do. I, I shut my mouth, I took her keys and I went straight. Of course I didn't do that, right? I began to give her a lecture about her tires. And she said to me, why are you so bothered about the tires? And here's what I realized. She was starting in that moment. I was looking at the last two or three weeks of history that had taken its toll on me. Stay with me. This is how we do God. When life goes bad, when life gets dry, we start in the moment and we forget the history of faithfulness that God has had in our life. We, we narrow down our relationship with God and we reduce it to the present and we forget the breath and the history of God's goodness and mercy and grace and forgiveness 
and encouragement and revival and salvation. If anybody has experienced any of these things in Jesus, just say amen. We forget the history of what God has done to us uh, and for us and who he has been in our life. And we are focused on the moment and we forget there's history. And in that history, there is credibility. In that history, we can look back and see God was taking care of us when we didn't even know we needed to be taken care of. God was taking care of us when we didn't even know who he was. God, God saved us, no volition, no merit, no deserving on our part, but he picked us up out of the sinful, broken place that we were in and he turned our life around unprovoked and undeserved by us. So what am I trying to say? I'm trying to say that God has a history of being good to us in our life and he has not brought you or allowed us to come into the dry season we may be in in this moment to leave us here. Let me say it a different way. Your present condition is not your final conclusion. It's a comma, it's not a period. And if you're anything like me, when I get in the moment and the season of dryness, I forget about God's history and I'm stuck there and I'm wondering, God, why won't you do dot, dot, dot? Why won't you come through in this way? Why won't you do exactly what I want you to do? And I forget that God has a history that I can depend on. And if he was good then, he's good now because he's immutable, he never changes. We see the moment and we fail to see this history. Look at how Jeremiah is describing the moment. In verse two, you could read this when you get a chance. He says, I'm in darkness and not light. In verse seven, he says, he's hedged me in. In verse eight, he's made my chain heavy. In verse 15, he's filled me with bitterness. In verse 17, he moved my soul from uh, uh, far from peace. But then we come to verse 21 and Jeremiah says this, and this is where Christians ought to get excited. He said, this I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. Jeremiah's hope is not based in the moment. It's based upon the memory, two memories in particular. One, God's relationship to Israel, and two, Israel's relationship toward God. Israel's relationship toward God had been unfaithful and undeserving and rebellious and doubtful and disobedient. Maybe you can find yourself in there somewhere, but God's relationship toward Israel had been faithful and merciful and patient and kind and long-suffering, and he had been a God of provision. And so Israel gets to this place that they're at in, in this chapter because of God's discipline toward them. Now, let me be clear. I'm certainly not saying the reason that we are in the dry season that we may be in is because God is disciplining us. I'm not saying that. God has many purposes for allowing dry seasons, but ultimately it's for his will to be done so that you and I can look more like Jesus, that he might be glorified. But since we're on the subject, let's talk about the justice of God who can call God unjust, Paul asks in Romans. And the truth of the matter is this, God is sovereign and he has the right to let it rain on the just as well as the unjust at any given time. He has the right to allow storm clouds to come and go as he chooses. And so as I thought about some dry seasons in my life and as I prayed with one friend recently, one of the things that the Spirit re reminded me of is this, God allows us 
to defy the odds every day that we draw breath because the truth is, if God gave us what we deserve, all of our seasons would be dry with no joy at all. But God is so gracious and so kind and so merciful that he lets us defy the odds every single day. So I wanna encourage you tonight to recall God's hope, or excuse me, recall God's faithfulness and to hope in him. So that's why Jeremiah says in verses 22 and 23, it's through the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. And then in the midst of this desolate city, in the midst of public ridicule, in the midst of military defeat, in the midst of crooked paths, in the midst of ambush, in the midst of arrows, he makes this statement that all of us know, great is thy faithfulness. How can one conclude that God is faithful in the midst of of all of that? And I'll tell you how, and we're gonna move on to the next verse. It's this, because we're not looking at the moment, we're looking at God's history. If you understand, say amen. Don't just see God through the lens of present circumstance, see God through the lens of history. Here's a second way that we make it through the dry seasons. Number two, we remember that the dry season has purpose. We remember that the dry season has purpose. Help me, Lord. Whether we know this or not, our faith must be tested. Untested faith is like untasted food. How can you say it's good if you've never tasted it. And the same is true with our faith. How can we say that our faith is good and stable and will get us through if it's never been tested or built up or shored up? How can we testify that our faith is sure if we've never tested it? One of the things I've learned to appreciate in dry seasons is this, in the dry seasons of life, we get closer to God. Have you ever noticed that you pray more intensely in dry seasons? Have you ever noticed, maybe it's just me, that I'm more focused on God in dry seasons? Why? Because I think it's in the dry seasons that God removes the idols that so often show up and pop up in our life that we're so quick to run to. I think it's in the dry seasons that God removes the idols and only then do we see him as clearly as we need to see him. There's something about dry seasons that allows us to get a better view of God. Look at verse number 24. Look at what he says. He says, the Lord is my portion. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke in his youth. So let's just walk through these verses real quick. What are some of the things that are revealed in these verses? In 24, when he says, the Lord is my portion, in the Hebrew Bible, it says this, God is all that I have. Sometimes I don't realize in my own life that God is all that I need until the point comes when God is all that I have. Now this isn't to say that we cast away friends or family This isn't to say uh, that we turn away from those who love us, 
but it, it brings forth the words that we find in Psalms, right? When my mother and my father forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. He will hide me in the secret places of his pavilion. That's what it means to say, God is my portion. He's all that I have. And then look at verse 25. It says, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. When I have to wait on God, I'm in a position in that moment to realize his goodness like never before. There is something mind clearing about having to wait. Unless you're at the DMV, I was there two days this week and gotta go back another day. That's not really mind clearing when you've gotta wait at the DMV. But when we have to wait on God and he tears down the idols and he takes away the crutches and he takes away uh, or he exposes and cleans up and shores up those sinful places uh, in our heart, there's something good that happens as we wait on the Lord. Look at verse number 26. It says, it is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. He grows my faith when I have to wait on him. There's something about anticipating the presence of God that makes our faith stronger. In verse number 27, it says, it is good for a man to bear the yoke in his youth. He's maturing us. He's maturing us as we learn to bear our burdens in our youth. He's preparing us for those mature places in him as we wait on him. And then we see in verses 28 through 30, he's teaching me how to surrender to his sovereignty. Look at it. It says, let him sit alone and keep silent because God has laid it on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes him and be full of reproach. Now here's the, here's the verses, if I'm honest, we don't really like as human beings. In those moments when we're waiting, when God is doing his thing, when we have our face in the dirt, what is he doing? He's teaching us how to surrender to his sovereignty. What does it mean to be sovereign? To be sovereign means to be in all and over all. To be sovereign means to exercise divine prerogative, to do whatever you want to do, whenever you want to do it, with whomever you want to do it. And let me tell you something. When we learn to trust the sovereignty of God, that's when our faith grows. There's a lot of false teaching in the world that says our faith grows when we make God do what we want him to do. When we declare whatever it is that we want and God gives it to us like a baby crying for a bottle. That is not mature faith. Mature faith rests in the sovereignty of God. Mature faith like Job says, when God allows all of my children to be taken away, I'll still trust him. When my body is filled with boils, I'll still trust him. When the issues of life are heavier than I can bear, I'll still trust him because the Lord is good to those who wait on him. And I will trust in the sovereignty of God even when I don't like it. But I don't like sovereignty. I like sovereignty as long as it's working in my favor. But I don't like sovereignty when I'm on the back end 
when I'm on the other side, when I'm on the, the negative side from a human perspective of God's sovereignty. If you're with me in the house, say amen. amen. Waiting on God helps us to learn to trust in the sovereignty of God. It helps us to learn about God's divine prerogative. But from a human perspective, it's not good for our image to be found in the dust. From a human perspective, it says that we progress to bigger and better and fancier and more and more material things and a greater position and a bigger title. But God comes along with Jeremiah and he says, put your face in the dust and learn to worship and learn to wait. And that looks different than how we as human beings usually define growth or success or spiritual development. Here's the third thing I want to say to you tonight, and I'm almost done. In verses 31 through 33, when we say, how do we trust God in the dry season? Number three, we remember that the dry season will not last forever. Look at verse 31, it says, for the Lord will not cast off forever, though he causes grief, yet he will show compassion according to the multitude of his mercies, for he does not afflict willingly nor grieve the children of men. What does it mean when he says he does not afflict willingly? What it means in, in, in the Hebrew language is this, he does not afflict from his heart. This is to say God's greatest desire is not the affliction of his children in dry season. Think about it. All of you who are parents or, or guardians on any level, we do not discipline our children for sport, nor do we do it forever. We discipline our children for a short period of time to perform a very specific thing in their life. And the same is true with our God. Dry seasons are not for sport but they have purpose and they will not last forever. I can say that tonight on the authority of God's word that our dry season is not forever, but we have to learn to carry our yoke as the text says without complaint. We have to learn to go through dry seasons in faith knowing that God is with us. And I don't have time tonight to talk about waiting the way that I want, so let me just give you a little encouragement as I let you go. Psalm 27 and 14 says, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Psalm 37 and 7 says, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. James 5, 7 and 8 says, be patient until the coming of the Lord. As the farmer waits patiently for the crop, wait for the Lord. That's a word for somebody tonight. I just felt it as I said it. Be patient and wait for the Lord. Let me go back to South Texas. If you ever drive through Texas or, or Kansas, one of the things you'll see is a lot of farms, especially if you drive through Kansas. I drive through Kansas and I feel like I'm on the rewind wheel. I feel like somebody just keeps hitting the rewind button over and over and over again. There is farmland for as far as the eye can see. And here's what Here's what I've learned to try to bring this into the text tonight. When you take corn 
and you take the grain and you put it into the ground, the fruit, or excuse me, the corn, the harvest does not return immediately, but we have to wait. And the same is true in our life. For somebody tonight, we've put seed in the ground and we're wondering when is the return going to happen? When are the stalks going to grow? When is the fruit going to come on the vine or come on the tree? When are the vegetables going to show up in the garden? And the psalmist says, as the farmer waits for the crop, we have to also wait for the Lord. Psalm 33 and 20 says, our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. And Micah 7 and 7 says, I will watch expectantly for the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. That's a good place to finish tonight. My God will hear me. Your God will hear you. Your God has heard you. And in due season, he will answer you. Remember his history. He's never failed. Remember his history. He was taking care of us when we didn't even know him, when we didn't even know that we needed it. He was saving us or had planned to save us before we even realized it. Remember his history. God has never failed. And who can, we, who can really say in here in their life, you know, I remember this one time God really didn't come through for me. None of us could say that in good conscience because God never fails. Wait on the Lord. Trust God in dry seasons. As we finish tonight, let me pray. And then I want to talk to some of the seasons that may be here in the auditorium tonight and how we respond. God, we thank you for your word tonight. Thank you, dear master, for your goodness, your grace, your presence. And I pray for the one who's listening tonight, either here in the auditorium, someplace in the building, they're listening by radio, they're listening on their app, they're listening on the World Wide Web, and they're in a dry season, they're in a dry place. I pray, God, that through the move of your spirit that you would minister to those men and women, that you would give us the courage to respond and obey whatever it is that you've placed upon our heart, whatever it is that you're doing in our life. In the name of Jesus Christ, we do pray. Amen. Amen. There may be someone here tonight, or maybe you're listening through one of the mediums uh, somewhere out in the world. And you say, preacher, that's me. I'm in that dry season. And until now, you didn't know why. But maybe tonight you realize that maybe you're in that dry season because you've never surrendered to Jesus. You've never said yes to the Lordship of Jesus. You've never been saved. You've never been converted. You've never come to faith, however you've heard it said. But you realize in this moment, you want to say yes to Jesus. You want to say yes to Jesus. And let me tell you, you can only say yes to Jesus because he first said yes to you. So wherever you are, with every head bowed tonight, I'm going to ask you, just bow your heads, close your eyes, come to a place of, of meditation for just a moment. If you know Jesus, you need to be praying for the people around you. Somebody may be making a decision about eternity. If you're here tonight and your season is dry, 
and you realize in this moment it's because you've never said yes to Jesus, wherever you are in the building, would you just raise your hand so that I can see it? Just hold it up for a second. If tonight you want to say yes to Jesus, you want to, you want to become a follower of Jesus, wherever you are, would you just raise your hand wherever you are in the building? We want to pray for you tonight. We want to help you tonight, wherever you are. There may be somebody else here tonight, and you're already a follower of Jesus, but you need prayer for whatever reason. You just want another brother or sister to touch and agree with you in prayer. In just a moment, the worship team is going to sing a song of worship unto the Lord, and the altar's going to be open, and there'll be pastors and leaders here at the altar. And if you just know that you're that place that's in, you're that person that's in that dry place tonight, I just want you to feel free to come and let us pray for you tonight, wherever you may be. By the same token, if you're that person who wants to say yes to Jesus, right there in your seat, you could just pray a prayer that sounded something like this. And I want to be clear tonight, this is not a magic prayer. But if you pray it in faith, the Bible gives us a template, if you will, of what we need to ask God for and what we need to believe. But the Bible says this, that if you'd make a confession with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and if you would believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, the Bible says that Jesus will save you. And you don't have to have on a suit to be saved, and it doesn't have to be Sunday to be saved, and you don't have to be in your favorite church to be saved, and you don't have to be around people that you know to be saved. But right in your seat tonight, you could pray a prayer that sounded something like this, God, I believe that you're real, and, and I believe Jesus is your son. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins. I believe that three days later, he got up from the grave. He conquered death. I believe that Jesus is alive today. And I'm asking him to live in me. Save me. Change my life. Use me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.